Thank you, Snow, for sponsoring this episode of The Coffee Podcast. I drink a few cups of coffee in the morning and another at night on special occasions. I've learned coffee is great for my health, so I'm left with the challenge we all face as coffee enthusiasts who love to smile. That's where Snow comes in. Their solution is backed by $1.4 million of research and development, caters to those of us with sensitive teeth, and shows results just after three days. Get 15% off your first order at trysnow.com for a limited time with the code coffee pot Listening to the Coffee Podcast. This is the Coffee Science Series. Collecting and Understanding Data. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the scientific method this way: quote, "Principles and procedures for the systematic pursuit of knowledge involving the recognition and formulation of a problem." the collection of data through observation and experiment, and the formulation and testing of hypotheses, end quote. Did you hear that? The collection of data. This is the topic today, and I promise to not bore you. Instead, I hope to inspire you with a special guest as we unravel the wonders of data analysis. Rebecca Pandolf is the chief of the statistics section at the International Coffee Organization. Rebecca has done extensive work in data analysis across a variety of sectors during her career. She did work around anti-dumping policy, which according to Wikipedia, because I had to look this up, is when, quote, manufacturers export a product to another country at a price below the normal price with an injuring effect, end quote. Feel free to go down that fascinating rabbit hole yourself because we don't have time for it here, and this is, after all, the coffee podcast. All that to say... I get the impression the World Trade Organization anti-dumping agreement and policies concerning it would be a really difficult to manage situation considering technical nuances. This is where data analysis really tends to shine and why sectors like the coffee sector need and should be thankful for great minds like Rebecca's working to see complex trends in the data. Rebecca most recently was involved with the International Cotton Advisory Committee, which is part of what is called the International Commodity Bodies. This is a group of bodies, like the International Coffee Organization, that intermediate between consumers and producers of commodities like coffee. The ICO is where you can find Rebecca hard at work today. So one of the main tasks that I've been doing is we have a legacy database. It was um, finalized in 2007. So right now we are updating that. It's an S- it's on a S- it's SQL. And the main goal for this, besides cleaning up some of the stuff, is to um, put all of our data in an online interface. So rather than having to use outdated Excel sheets, because we do have some data on our website, but we don't we only update them maybe once a year, um, quarterly, um, people can just go to the site then and Mm -hmm. download the data directly. Okay. So that's 
kind of a big task. Um, I oversee a team of two people that do a lot of the data gathering and processing. We get data from a bunch of different sources, um, including reports from members, national statistics offices, private sector um, people, and they do the processing um, so that it can go into our database. And also another, probably one of the other big interesting projects besides analyzing the data is um, working, it's a working with um, the public private sector for coffee and cotton to help um, come up with indicators that can be used in both of these commodities to measure sustainability. You mentioned uh, identifying indicators. What, what does that mean? You basically want something so that when you say like, oh, I want to know if this farm is, is productive, like if it has good yields, you want to make sure you're, everyone's on the same page about like, what are you actually measuring? And then it should, and you keep doing okay. this over time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like setting up a standard, but it's a it's a measurement. You might look at yield. Um, so you define what exactly does yield mean, and then if you track it over time, it kind of indicates this is the productivity over time. I was yeah, I was going to say the accuracy of words when you're looking at analysis and you're doing statistics is critical, yeah. right, for coming to conclusions. Yes, very critical. So I think this is a great segue into a very, very like vague question, which is, what is data? And I guess the context for us is, what is data in the context of coffee? There is a bit of a distinction between what I'd say is data and then information. So data is kind of like this pool of unorganized pieces of information. And then when you process it or analyze Mm -hmm. it, that's where you get actual information you can use to make decisions. You might have some information, like qualitative information about like the quality of coffee. Um, You might also have some prices, Mm -hmm. but they don't mean anything until you organize it into actual information. Okay. So it's kind of like, I don't know if we're going to draw an analogy straight out of coffee. Like if you have a coffee plant... And you have the coffee cherry. You just have the cherry. It's like this raw thing. And until we turn that into a roasted seed, then we really don't have value until you can drink it or you can grind it, what have you. So there's all this process required to get it to a point of information, which could be seen as maybe like the final cup. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I'm trying to be super (laughs) dramatic with this. I mean, because that's really, it it is. We get a lot of raw material. Um, You get it like a series of numbers um, and then you have to process it into something usable for other people, particularly people not familiar with raw data. And that's really what a lot of my work is. Yeah, normally my analogies (laughs) fall flat on their face. So I think that one might've worked. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to ask you, what are relevant data points and in your work environment so maybe in the ico like what are things that are important to you like this these raw things to collect like how do you how do you determine like what you do record or collect and what you don't so with um it's not just for where i'm working right now but also with cotton a lot of these bodies they have mandates um about what type of data they're supposed to collect and for international coffee organization, a lot of this stems from the quota periods because they needed to track what was traded um, in order to allocate the quotas each year. Um, We've moved more towards advocating for market transparency. So that's also means looking at um, market information, which is supply and demand parameters. You're looking 
at production, trade, ideally area and yield, as well as consumption and exports and stocks. Prices are also very important when you're looking at the market. And then because we're working with governments and trade policies, yeah. we also have are building mm-hmm. a collection of tariff rates and information on non-tariff barriers as well, because it's good to see about okay. market access. How do we know we can trust the data? So there's this stuff that's collected. I'm trying to stick with the analogy of like, how do we know this coffee is going to be worth mm. drinking? It's not, not going to have defects. Like, what does that process look like? Or how do we know we can trust a data set or a, a pool of data? So I'd say, I mean, it's also similar. So when you think about it, like someone tasting coffee when it's fresh off and even just picking it, there's there's certain actual measurable things that you can look at, but there's also a bit of like it comes with experience as well. So in the terms of um, things that even if you're new, what you can look at is knowing just like how the like what the methodologies were for gathering the initial data, looking at like how robust, because Mm -hmm. almost every single, like when they're looking at production and stuff, almost no one does, goes out and collects and counts every single coffee tree out there. So you have to look and see like, how do they adjust for estimations? With trade, usually what we do and a lot of other international statistics bodies will look at is what they call mirror statistics. So it's kind of like if say the U.S., they report that they imported uh, 300,000 bags from Mexico in a given period. You go and look and see mm-hmm. how much is if Mexico is reporting. You're not going to get perfect alignment due to timing issues, but if they're within a certain tolerance, then you can say that the it makes the data more valid. And then when you look at multiple partners, if all of the U.S. imports match up with their partners, and you can say that their data is pretty reliable. So as an example, you you said Mexico, they have reported some kind of number of exports Mm -hmm. and you're comparing that to what the U.S. is declaring as imports of the same thing to see if it's validate. Okay, to see if they uh, validate one another. Okay, so that's that's like a a way of saying, oh, this number is reliable. Okay, cross checking. Yeah, got you. Have you had any experiences with data in coffee where you saw the number or the conclusion. I guess that's more the analysis. So I'm trying to I'm trying to stick to the data. Have you ever seen data that you were like, oh no, that's not that's not going to be trustworthy all, all the time. All the time. <laughs> or um, <laughs> oh because you do. So go back. To, I've seen it both in our own data that we've collected. So that's one of the other projects. Is kind of what I'm saying is cleaning up the time series. So this is where it gets a little bit more subjective, but there should be, we use, um, it's an approach, USDA has a really good paper on it, but it's called the balance sheet concept that the data ties together. So when looking at um, supply and demand for an individual country, it should be internally consistent over time. And it works like you have opening stocks, production, and imports count as the total available supply within a given year. And during that year, at the same time that they're bringing in this, then they're also consuming and exporting the coffee. Whatever is left over goes into ending stocks. So these should, it's it's an equation. And if that equation doesn't actually work out, there means there's some kind of internal inconsistency in the data over time. And we have, we've had that issue. Similarly, if you look at some of the... um, like if you graph it, you can actually visually see there's issues. Like you'd expect like um, production, especially for um, Brazil, for instance, there is a certain kind of biannual pattern and you can see it 
like where it goes up and down for especially with arabica production it could look weird like i've also seen with some countries the consumption kind of moves up in steps which if you think about how consumption grows in real life, mm-hmm. you're not going to see that type of pattern. So there's that's a little bit more subjective. Yeah, it's more of a smooth. Yeah. Yeah. So like the shapes of the data that they take when you see them, say on a time series graph yeah. or something, is going to indicate to you something's off mm-hmm. here. Or yeah, I guess for, for me, you know, somebody, I, I'm really digging into the the data analysis life and the distinction between something that has happened that is unique mm-hmm. versus something that is like an error in the data, like that requires experience, I feel like. You can't just like look at a data set and be like, oh, for sure, that's wrong data. Because sometimes crazy yeah. things happen and it needs to be blown up and looked deeper into, right? So it's not so easy as just being like, yeah. Oh, that just doesn't so I'd look say, right. So you'd probably use or, that as a starting point. Um, and you even with particular countries, because we're looking at a lot mm-hmm. of countries, you're not going to know everything about every country unless you've been, I mean, I've been working in coffee for right, three years. Right. So I'll use that as a starting point and I'll go back and look and see, like, why did production drop off here? Was there an actual reason or is it more likely to be error? Mm-hmm. So that's also where you look in the balance sheet concept. It's yeah. like, so was there trade down? Is the trade source reliable? Did they have, I don't know, like really severe drought and or was um, in some cases, it's actually their civil war going on. So yeah. it, but then if you can't find any explanation, yeah, then wild. you start to then you really need to look and see. Sometimes you can even track down what caused the error. But usually, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's a mix of doing the research and then seeing if you can find out what's causing the error. So you have to be really curious to do this kind of job, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? You have to, you can't just like come across like a funky, a funky dip in the time series and be like, oh, whatever. You got to be the, the person who's like, what's happening there? And sort of like a private eye and, and, and go into the details. And yeah, that's really cool. I, w- I want our listeners to understand like the word data, it kind of has the same vibe to me off the bat as something like talking about health where it's like the word itself can sound mm-hmm. boring. Like we're doing some content on coffee health. and But like once you actually dig into it and you start to look at the nuances of what's happening and what it involves, you're like, oh my gosh, this is actually really fascinating and interesting and valuable. I guess my follow-up question to what makes data trustworthy and, and all that jazz is where does uh, statistics fit into this conversation? Because it's my impression you can't just do analysis without considering um significance and confidence level i mean i'm getting out of my realm here but but where where does statistics fit i mean you almost have to step back statistics um in certain circles tends to be a focused really on the statistical modeling but it's it's larger than that for instance the un statistics division they do a lot with um data collection processing and disseminating data they also work on helping to standardize definitions for data as well as improving data collection on for the members rather than um, just the modeling part of that. I mean, because you can't do any, if you don't have good data to start with, you can't really do any of the modeling. Yeah, it's, it's not reliable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get, you, I mean, you can get results with it, but they're not good results. So that's why for me, like one of my personal mm-hmm. passions okay. has really been getting into methodologies and metadata, like really understanding what your data is, because without knowing that you can't come up with good okay, yeah. analysis. Um, so it's this kind of like, if you're looking at prices over time, you need to know mm-hmm. like 
how are these prices gathered? And if you want to compare across countries, are you really, because we have a series called Price to Growers, but they not all the countries use the same starting point. So if you're just going to be using that, right. <laughs> if you're, and we always, we try to let people know <laughs> that are using in this, if you're going to compare across countries, you have to be really careful because you can start at what's actually paid to the farmer. But once you move away from that, you need to start adjusting for different costs added in, like the transport costs at different points. If they have any types of um, yeah. taxes, like domestic taxes that also occur. Right. And sometimes too, in similar data like that, there's the difference between, you know, the parchment coffee mm-hmm. or, you know, is it soluble or is it, right? Coffee isn't coffee is coffee or how yeah. do you say that? It, it's like, there's all this important context that be, are, I guess that's considered metadata, yeah. right? Where you have a, kind of like the, the core number and then you have this like, oh, and by the way, it's soluble. Yeah, exactly. It's the data about the <laughs> Which data. Which is pretty important. Um, the data and the data. It's a data set, yeah. <laughs> as they say, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they don't say that. Um, so why should we, why should we care? So I'm a coffee producer. Why should I care about data collection, you know, statistical analysis, standardizing terms for data? What, why should I care at all? What's the value to me? The reason why data analysis, data science has taken off is it helps empower people to come to better decisions. For instance, maybe you have a gut feeling. You're like, I don't know which coffee should I buy next time, like which one sold better. I mean, most people probably actually have the data on hand and don't realize it, but you can go and see, like, you can measure which coffee actually sold the most that year. So if it's from one particular origin, then you know, like, oh, this one's really popular in this past year. Let's buy more of this one and less of the one that didn't sell better. And they can even, because they have, if you're um, a a roaster, you can tailor, you have a lot of the data on hand. If you're missing data, though, um, somewhere like the International Coffee Organization gives you a much broader perspective. So maybe you want to buy more, but you're kind of wondering, like, Mm -hmm. oh, what's like how available is this coffee? Are they a large producer or not? Um, what does the prospects look like for next year? Because maybe mm-hmm. a lot of people consider like they're going to ha- reduce the production due to different, maybe the weather is not looking so good when it was flowering or whatever, which means you might have to pay more compared to the previous year. It yeah. also helps you like when you're talking to people, I guess um, having oh, the ahead, same yeah. starting point for discussions. Um, so you're all talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're measuring and talking about. I'm trying to think as well for producers, you know, having access to, and we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about this, I I think, more soon, but having access to uh, data, like consumer data would be critical, right? Like, what are... What are consumer preferences? Where are they leaning towards? And, you know, how can I adapt um, the way I'm processing my coffee or what have you to to make it more marketable to the the larger portion of the coffee consuming market? Or, you know, ha- having access. I think the thing about data that maybe we don't realize off the bat when we're learning about it is that it can be used in a lot of different yeah. ways. You can use the same data and have a totally different business goal and be using the same exact data and come to different conclusions that are just, they both happen to be there in the data. So maybe one coffee company is like, I just want to sell whatever is going to sell the fastest. But maybe another coffee company is like, I want to sell coffee that is unique and not as popular. And so you could use the same data set and you know grab out your own value from it. 
which is yeah i feel like there's there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions i feel like around data because it's such a boring word that's why um well transparency in general and democratization of data is becoming more and more important is because as i said before like you don't really necessarily have information with data um, that's really done with on the analysis side. So mm-hmm. when you put data out there, um, same with World Bank has a lot of data, UN as well, is that allows people, um, and nowadays it's a lot easier to do analysis cheaper than it used to be. Even do, I know people have done stuff on, mm-hmm. on their phones even with analysis. Being able to take the data, look yeah. at it, bring your own um, experience and come up with different conclusions or new information that might be helpful to other people. How would you describe market transparency? Obviously, it's going to bring in more minds, but couldn't it also, I'm going to play like mm-hmm. the opposite end, couldn't it also bring in people who don't know how to interpret the data or use it and thus bad information? I guess it would be the flip side. So the more that's out there, the more that other people can come in and kind of pick at it, um, which is why like a lot of disciplines, they publish stuff in journals. So someone can put something out there. And then because right. it's out there and not just kept, because a company can do that as well. It, I mean, that's why they want to hire really good people. You could have certain mm-hmm. assumptions in place and come into, especially with bias and whatnot, um, come to a bad conclusion because no one else is really looking at it or asking the right questions for you. So putting it out there, it allows other people to kind of come in. And we do get that sometimes. We'll have people come in and ask us questions like, how did you come to this conclusion? Or why do you think consumption is going to be like this type of thing? Or are you sure this is correct? And sometimes that will actually have us go back and revise things. Other times it just helps us broaden our understanding. So it's also in a certain sense, the transparency Mm, is an accountability tool. Built-in accountability because you have a lot more eyes on it. So I can imagine the pressure also being like 10 times higher because it's not just like a room of data scientists or whatever looking at it. It's like the whole world has access to the, you know, the raw data. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's these companies, they've been collecting coffee data for a while. They've been doing these, the science and all this other stuff, but it's all behind closed doors, right? It's, it's not accessible to the public. Is, in your opinion, do you feel like private data is a bad thing? No, I mean, because the problem with a lot of data collect is, is there's a high cost to collecting data, which is why it's not easy to give out for yeah. free. And for companies, it can be a lot of ways the way they make their profit, make their money. So in that sense, no. But I think it's good to have um, a mixture of both public and private data. Um, and a lot of times with public, especially for academia, for instance, they don't need the most recent data. So you can still have your private data, especially the most recent data. But ideally, what would happen is the mm-hmm. companies, you might have it shared through providing data through like a public institution. There's a bit of a time lag and also that you can anonymize so if you're maybe collecting retail prices from actual roasters, for instance, is anonymizing it and putting a bit of a lag there so that you still can enable people to analyze longer term yeah. trends without uh, threatening their positions. So there's definitely ways to democratize uh, the data by anonymizing mm-hmm. it, right? By saying, yeah, these are unique values, but you don't know who who it means right or i but i still think that yeah that's that'd be nerve-wracking like if my data if i was a business owner in coffee and my data was in that database like to sign off and say yeah it's cool if you anonymize me and release it i'm like putting a lot of 
trust yeah. and to, <laughs> you know, the, the data scientists or whoever that you can't like somehow reverse engineer and figure out who that company is or whatever. Yeah, so it's, a, it's difficult. So yeah. there's a lot of trust involved yeah. here. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why you don't see it happen that often. Yeah. Um, you can also do things to kind of build trust as well. You could probably maybe go with something less risky. And then over time, if you're shown to be a reliable source or a rel- I guess institution for yeah. gatekeeping and handling the data, you're more likely to get yeah. the trickier pieces. So there are words in coffee. This is a problem. We we know this is a problem. On the coffee podcast, we've talked about this. We words are important. We can we can even get into the realm of saying like, can we stop calling it a coffee bean? Some of us are that intense about using the right mm. words. There, there's this there's this element across the series, but we've been talking about this in, in, on the podcast for a while. You know, data reveals things. It allows us to define terms with more accuracy. We we talked about that. You and I just during this mm-hmm. conversation earlier on. And one of the one of the terms that I hear tossed around all the time is blah 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 smallholder <laughs> producer. Right? There's this like it's like this some some kind of data statement and then they throw in the word smallholder producer. And every single time I think to myself, like, what is that? What is a smallholder producer? And like Where's the line between the smallholder producer and like the not smallholder producer? So let me kind of back up a little bit in the sense that um, yeah. in some ways too, it's that's kind of the work of the standardization is coming up with these shared meanings. On one hand, you can use the data to create the definitions, but on the other hand, you can also just come up with a definition and then share it. And that's where the metadata comes in. Um, and we also, um, which we'll be updating over the next year as well as we have data definitions so that when we say price to growers what do we actually mean Um, when we say world even something as simple as production when we're talking about production what does our production figure actually capture because with production you can have how much was actually grown on a particular tree or say how much was harvested off of the tree or even how much was sold it's a mixture and those are so different (laughs) it's a mixture of kind of saying like so it's really that's where you really need to know like what the data is i mean ideally every time when they're writing things down people will actually put the definition that they're using because smallholder producer it across countries means different things like in brazil because they have a lot of um Right. much larger producers on average, their idea of small is going to be very different than a country that's mostly smallholders where like one hectare is quite large. So yeah, standardizing that seems critical to me. It's kind of, I mean, a really non-serious version of this from the cafe side is something like in the US, there's this thing called the Cortado. Mm. Well, actually, I don't even have to use the Cortado. The Cortado is a drink that definitely is like, like everybody's doing something a little different yeah. with it. But for me as well, flat white, that's one in the US that's like totally just like nobody has a clue what they're doing. So a customer goes like to one cafe and like, I'll have a flat white. And the, you know, the barista is like, what are they ordering? Yeah. You know, it's, it's terrible. But that's like a really sort of innocent version. Maybe it's innocent, innocent version of like a more serious thing to get wrong, which I think is. Getting smallholder producer wrong is really dangerous because the claims that are made 
around that term and and that and that topic are are typically pretty strong claims and so understanding the context is critical but so you're um, gonna have i mean i was just yeah, blabbering, yeah. so, so I don't you know. you're right though with the small holder versus i mean cortado just means it could it's it could be very critical for a particular business because if i mean because customers go and expecting one thing and then they get something different because you're using different definitions not defining things right. properly basically leads to miscommunication which is going to the seriousness of this is going to depend on what gets done with it um but smallholder because it impacts a lot of policy yeah. i think it has a much broader or even maybe where funding goes uh, for instance when they collect data if they're collecting it at the farm level they usually also collect farm size so ideally what will happen is you will have a series of data points in the size of the farm and you can at that point arbitrarily uh-huh. come up with what you exactly. want to call a smallholder mm-hmm. but when you do that you need just put the definition you can footnote it in there and be like by smallholder we mean farmers with a farm average farm size of x many hectares or less when they're looking at it not everyone reads that Mm -hmm. information but yeah it's there then you then you can like bucket producers who are in a range of x hectare to whatever hectare and okay yeah and that makes sense because then later too if the if the word becomes standardized you could go back to that Mm -hmm. data and you could reformat it, yeah, which would be ideal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like so, if you have the pieces well, of information, then you yeah. can always go back in and update um, what you're doing later on, as long as all of that's married up together. Are there any other words you've run into in the industry, like in coffee in particular, that you feel like really just need to be standardized? Like we just need to get on the same page. I mean, sustainability is probably like the very big topic. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> like, what does it mean to be sustainable? Yeah. What does sustainability encompass? It's something that's kind of a bit what the Delta Project's getting yeah. at. It's, and then also probably within that, probably the really biggest one is living income. It's kind of a newish topic, but really critical. Yeah. But it's also one of the ones that's, yeah, if you don't define it properly, it can get misused very easily. Like, what does living income actually mean? So it's kind of, it's a very right. unglamorous type of work is getting, is talking about definitions. Um, but it's also fun in the sense of like, you're basically, you're just doing a lot of negotiations and with trade agreements as well. That's really what a lot of this is, is negotiating over the meaning of words. It doesn't suit everyone, but it has its oh, place. I never thought of it yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of my previous job experience. It's, I, yeah, I never. Yeah, so you're looking at, because even with trade, when you talk about, you get very specific, like the harmonized um, system of tariff, co- the tariff um, names. It, when you say shoes, you don't really just mean shoes. So you get very weird. Even with coffee, if you go and look up um, the HS code for that, they have a very specific it's like unprocessed coffee, um, whether they actually split it off between decaffeinated or not decaffeinated. Oh, yeah. That's under 090111. <laughs> you want to start with the answer oh, that okay. chapter. So the metadata is like built into the... Yeah, so you're using the is same right? meaning. And that's why okay, okay. you can do stuff with mirror statistics is you actually go off of the um, tariff lines. So you know you're talking about the same type of product. If you didn't have that, then it's kind of like... Oh, okay. Mm, are we talking about the same thing? <laughs> but it should match up because you're using the exact same tariff right. line codes. We, we've talked about market transparency. I know we want to talk about ac- access to the data, which we've touched on really briefly. How do you think industry data is used or should benefit 
the producer? Right now, it's not very symmetrical. A lot of data from the consumer point of view is collected from the producers because that's where a lot of the concerns over it's like, are they paid fair prices? Um, so if you're a farmer, you might employ people and pay them wages. So they want to know like, are those wages paid? Are they fair? Do they um, help support people? How much fertilizer, pesticides, et cetera, et cetera, are they using? So that goes into, and then somewhere like Starbucks could advertise um, like, Oh, we, pay fair wages or we get all of our coffee from sustainable producers but from from the industry ideally it would be a back and forth like the farmers are also getting input like oh your coffee we were able to sell a lot of coffee because you use such and such processes and you do see that i I feel like a lot of the smaller independent roasters do that they because they work directly with the producers so they give them a lot more feedback kind of like they'll know like oh this coffee from this particular Mm -hmm. farmer sold really well but for a lot of producers i don't know if it's so much the consumer data um, as much as comparative data with other producers in their region because they're somewhat limited by like the type of coffee producer so if they see like oh um, my neighbor farmer he's making a lot more money i want to go and see like what is he doing what what are his methods um how much space does he allow between trees? yeah how much yeah. fertilizer is he using how did he address? We just had a pest incident. How did he handle that or she? So it's more this kind of comparative. Even that mm-hmm. type of data doesn't necessarily get fed back into them. Right. Just creating feedback loops. So whenever um, certification bodies or whatever, whenever they're collecting data, it would be really nice if they actually thought about, like, when I'm collecting data from these producers, how am I feeding it back to them so that they can also use it to help their own lives? Well, yeah, and you and you mentioned this before too. There's something uh, weighty as well. Like when I don't know Google or whoever is like, "Are you cool using our services? We are going to collect your data." And I hit the OK button or the Sure, why not? You yeah. know, and sign over my first child or whatever I'm doing when I hit that button. I wonder if that's happening with the producer. Like, hey, you know, we're going to gather all this information with you. Are you okay with that? <laughs> and I'm not saying a producer would say, no, don't collect my info or, you know, put my photo on bags or whatever. But in the coffee sector, I've noticed it, it just seems like you said, it's not symmetrical. A lot of the data is benefiting the consuming country more than it's benefiting the producer. I can't quantify that statement, but it's what I'm observing. And not even like they're intending. I mean, I'm sure some of it's like they have good intentions, but if they're, sure, but because yeah. their overall goal is not to help their producers necessarily, that's more of a side benefit. So they kind of have to mm-hmm. make an effort to center with their data collection and what they're trying to do around helping the producer. So if you start from that point, you're going to yeah. get better results. I've seen some companies who collect data in coffee. Um, they build kind of like a code of ethics. Like this is just so you know, like this is how we're going to do it. And this is how it's going to benefit everyone. Because it's like you said, that research, the data collection itself isn't easy. It's like you have to have skills to know what you're doing. And then it's not cheap either. So you have to like pay, somebody's got to pay for it. So, um, but still the idea of like, my data is an asset, right? The information about my behavior and my choices, you don't get to just like collect that without my permission, I think is the idea. But it's getting into like a realm of ethics for sure. 
so the other thing I was thinking about was the, there's a bit of a power imbalance. So farmers may get something, but it may not be actually equal to the true value of what they're giving, the data that they're giving to. So maybe what they're getting, they might get some uh, like okay. um, ag extension type of maybe some limited advice. Like for this particular year, we might give you some fertilizer to use because we're actually doing a kind of trial study to see if we fertilize, if it helps us on our end. So they're like, sure, why not? Because otherwise it would get in anyways, yeah. but like longer, but the actual benefit that the company providing the fertilizers is going to be much greater than the cost of that. So it's more, yeah, it goes back into kind of like a power imbalance, the asymmetry, like they don't really even know what the value of the data is. And you may not know anyways until long after it's been yeah. collected. That's definitely a can of yep. worms for another time. I think that um, it's worth thinking about, though. In closing, so, you know, our listeners are all over the place. They're, they're coffee enthusiasts. Some of them are coffee tinkerers, which are people who are at home and they, and they got their, their sciencey mentality and they're going to do some coffee science at home. And then, you know, we have, we have people all over the industry listening. My question would be, what would you recommend as a fun at-home experiment, like a data experiment, where our listeners say all they have is like basic brew equipment? We do get a lot of data like requests for information. Where I work, the International Coffee Organization, we have a lot of data. Um, we provide a lot more data for free to students and also in kind of quid pro quo type of like if you want to write something for us that we can publish type of thing a lot of its time series is looking over at time or comparative type of analysis is looking at probably even something as simple as like doing a like if you're just into brewing is maybe just even looking at production trends over time like where is arabica grown versus robust are there new um, arabica producers because mm-hmm. there are or even have like india's an interesting one to look at because they have a really rich data set and the it's changed yeah. is how much the ratio of production of arabica and robusta over time how that's changed and maybe even matching that up with the prices for the two different types of crops to see if that's influencing things you've got my mind spinning on some good ideas like if you're at home so say i guess you have a whole bean bag of coffee, you have a bunch of data points, right? You have uh, a lot of the time, especially in specialty, because that's pri- primarily we're talking about specialty on the show, but we, we talk about the grand scope of coffee. I'd say on a specialty bag of coffee, it's going to say something like some random name given by the roaster, not random, but chosen, yeah. obviously. And then maybe some information about elevation or where it came from. And you could get even like latitude, longitude on those mm. things and keep a little spreadsheet right and then have yourself a little a little a little data set where <laughs> i don't know you could someday in in the near future like put on all your coffee for the year and be like oh i mostly bought coffees from africa or mm. you know i should that, so one like of my a, colleagues a they of a, used to do um coffee tasting and they actually kept details about um like they're experimenting with like if i use like x many grams versus like this many grams or how long they let it kind of steep in the water. You can also do stuff with that to see and then match it up with your tasting notes to see like, oh, for this particular coffee, if I let it sit for like one minute and 33 seconds versus one minute and 36 seconds, it improves the flavor profile you can do. Yeah. Oh, that's super (laughs) science-y. That's the economist. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So, yeah. You know, I could make it easier too. I could build a a Google spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. 
uh, with with the columns, you know, already in there. And so people could just like go copy it. And it's just like we could do like a big, a big just like homebrew data collection yeah. and just like see what happens. Yeah. That sounds kind of fun. All right. I'll see what I can so, uh, do. Data's fun. You can do a lot um, of stuff with it. <laughs> okay. So data is fun. That's it. I'm trying to get people to understand data is fun. So, all right. What are you working on currently and how can our listeners be a part of that? I think because we put a lot of the data out there, really like some of the best feedback. So if you go on our website, if you're using our data or reading any of our reports, getting emails asking questions is really helpful, especially um, in the sense because it's global. Because it helps me, for instance, knowing like where do I need to tighten up our definitions or even provide definitions or better explanations. That's helpful. And we get a lot of requests for data, but we almost never hear back on how it's used. And I really love when people come back and say like, oh, here's the paper because it helps. Oh, okay. I mean, there's there's just three. It's me and two other people on my team, which and we deal with a lot of data. So it's nice to get insights from other people, like what they're seeing, the trends and whatnot, and how they're looking at the data. So in that sense, and also the project that you had done, it was really interesting to look at that as well, because I don't have, I mean, there's only so many hours in the week to get stuff done. So being able to see what other people do with helps bring a better understanding as well for me on our website um, and our email address, just stats at ico.org. Very simple. <laughs> we'll supply links and things to the ICO, to the work happening over there. So if you're listening, you can click on over and find yourself in a world of coffee data. The ICO Award for Excellence, um, it's basically, it's primarily aimed at PhD students or post-PhD, but it's a competition. So you can write a paper using coffee data on coffee, um, focused on sustainable development of the coffee sector. And there is a financial reward for the top papers. I guess it's data, um, handling data, processing data. It's it's actually, it's really fun. Like if you're into um, problem solving, it's just really fun to take a deep dive and to look at a data set. Um, and then you just, it kind of actually ties into the other, like the best piece of advice I've been given was learn at least one new thing a day to sleep well at night. So if you're dealing with data, you're definitely <laughs> going to learn at least one new thing. A key part of the scientific method is collecting data. Then another key piece is understanding that data through data analysis. I hope this conversation has encouraged you to pick up a YouTube video or a book on analysis and statistics. Catch us in the next episode as we continue our adventure in coffee science. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, and until next time, happy brewing.